But I don't. I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We are in that portion of the season where everybody's just kind of hanging on. And uh, other folks are out here telling other folks to say it to their face. Other people <laughs> in McDonald's are getting whacked with blenders. Like it's a wild time to be alive right it now. It is. Halloween is coming up. Brace for all the blackface and brownface. Our blackface prime and... minister was reelected uh, just last week. Yes. Blackface is not that big in Canada. But, As in, it's not that big of a problem in Canada. <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing about that. Anything you want to say on that? We were. I feel like we were teetering towards what's going on in the U.S. And we still maybe, but it was thwarted for at least a little bit. Yeah. Conservatives here have that terrible uh, tendency to downplay and pander to white supremacists which unfortunately has happened in the United States very openly. So we've avoided that at least, but I dare to dream of a Canada led by the new Democratic Party, which is at least center-left. And a lot of the progressive policies most Canadians actually agree with. They are just scared to vote for NEP. Well, it's different here because we have two ostensibly viable left-leaning parties that invariably split the vote and the greens yeah we have four actually I well think. Le- maybe not viable blog quebecois let's leave them out of it <laughs> but that my point is it the political landscape here is at least different because the majority of canadians are left-leaning clearly well and so if you they may if not you identify think, as such but those are the policies they support yeah but even so only 34 percent of canadians voted conservative the alternative to that is a large swath, the other two-thirds being decidedly not that. It's not like it's not like you either vote conservative or there's a slightly similar option. It's it's not that here. Alright. Okay. There's there's arguments against, but I get it. The point is the political system here is flawed. That such a minority could then rule the majority. Yes. Because for me, the political ideology of the majority of Canadians is left-leaning. So it's, it's wild that we're even that close to having a conservative prime minister. Crazy well, to me. We could be a little biased because we do live in Toronto, and that's what we see every day. Okay, literally no one, even in Canada, wants to hear about Canadian politics, so let's move on. Seriously, like the day after it was like, oh. It was like, oh, yep. The, okay. The election cycle lasts like four weeks in Canada. It's very brief. Once it's over, people talk about it for like maybe a day or two, and yeah. then it's just back to business. And then this time it was like, well, crisis averted. Okay, let's let's get <laughs> right. back to the, the daily drudgery. What's been happening in tennis? For the most part, it's moved out of Asia and is back in Europe for the, that final swing. The women were in Zhuhai for their second tier year-end event, which the, the field is just so strong. And the final we saw between Burton's and Sabalenka... Those are two players who were very, very close to making the WTA finals, who uh, Burton's has been as high as number four this year. You could make the argument that the top two players at that event made the final. 
and that the top player at that event won the event. <laughs> yeah, Sabalenka had a hell of a ride in China this year, defended her title in Wuhan, which was quite a big surprise, I think, and then ran through the draw here. And I have to say, I kind of like this event. I don't love, again, I think we've talked about this before, I don't love the round robin with just the groups of three, and it it happens really quickly. Yeah. But I like the character of this event, and I like kind of the the diversity of styles and players you get in that, like, what is it, 9 to 20 range. I think it's cool. Like, it's a good look. You get a, I don't know, a lot of other players get to take the spotlight. And in this age of parity on the WTA Tour, you have a bunch of high-profile players still playing this event. The likes of Sloane Stevens opted not to, mm-hmm. but Madison Keys was there. Didn't go so well for her. But you have folks who've made Singapore before playing, I know Shenzhen, playing in Zhuhai. Right. Madison lost out on the semifinals by really just a few games. Well, you and a lot of folks were kind of being snarky about the wildcard giving to Zhang Zaisai again, because it seems that she's a perennial wildcard here. But she made good on it, making the semifinals. Yes. I believe the first time that she got the wild card, if I remember correctly, would have been 2016. Is that when Venus won it? Because I remember distinctly Venus playing against Zhang Zaisai in, in Zhuhai and beating her. And you being the handy fact checker that you are, just uh, discovered that it was 2015. Mm-hmm. So the memory's mostly there. You're a little bit bothered right now because... Vince is off to the side snoring. So if you hear a little bit of ambient noise, we've decided to let the little one rest while we record this episode. Yes, he has a very difficult life. <laughs> you so have, You have a note here about the, the trophy ceremony and what happened afterward. Oh. <laughs> well, before the final, Arena had a, a little child accompany her like they always do. And the kid was really nervous, was really scared to come out. So she was like clutching on Arena's leg. So she picked her up and just walked her out. And then uh, at the end of the match, she and the little baby were posing. She was holding her. It Is it a little child or a cute. baby? Oh, it was a, no, a, a child. A ch- okay. Like, a, I don't know, like four or five. Or... So the child can walk. Oh, so yes. it's not a baby. No, but, you know, a baby. <laughs> Uh, to me, like, you could tell me a child is anywhere between 18 months and 6 years old, and I would believe you. <laughs> it's like child blindness. You know how some people have face blindness? Yeah, I mean, it comes in very handy for me when parents are proactive. Uh, in the restaurant, I, I, I'm a server, right? And I often don't know whether to ask if the child needs something to drink and what they can or cannot do at that particular age. Well, luckily... A lot of your guests have their two-year-olds drinking Coke. So, you know, it... <laughs> like, well, is that child old enough to suck it's on like, a straw? Like, like you know I what? Don't know. It's none of my business, as long as it's not alcoholic. Roger Federer has won his decima. What is it? Yeah, his decima. His mm-hmm. uh, Zente in, uh, in German. In Basel? Yes. His hometown... His 103rd singles title, and he's just below Jimmy Connors in a lot of, a ton of statistics. So he's behind him in match wins, but not by many. A number of finals played in, but he's only behind like seven. And now he's got six titles to go, 
and he can tie Jimmy Connors' incredible record of 109 titles, which in this day and age I think is outrageous. Yeah, it's uh, 102 of them were won on grass courts, but yes, it was... Such a lie. Can you imagine if more of, like, I would love to see more of the calendar on grass. Roger could have a lot more. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I was being facetious. Obviously, Jimmy Connors is a great, a legendary asshole. Oh, are you saying that Jimmy Connors benefited from, like, less surface diversity, or? That was the the gist of it. Oh, okay. You didn't didn't quite grab that? No, no. I didn't get it. Okay. (laughs) I thought you were shading Roger. No, not at all. Roger's accomplishments are outstanding, exemplary. He's 38 and still doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, if he'd won this 10th title five years ago in Basel, I'd be like, eh, you know, run of the mill. I think we're past the point of saying, well, it's a depleted field. Of course he's going to win. He's still doing it Mm -hmm. at 38 and uh, blitzing quality opponents in the final. Alex Diminar, who's had a resurgent second half of the year. He beat him 6-2, 6-2 in a flash in the final. Right. And Alex wasn't even bad. Like, Demon Hour fought, but just watching that final, you could see that Roger was on another level. Just the way that he was able to alternate between slice and topspin on his backhand, and then sort of create these openings for these incredibly well-timed forehands. Like, there were a few that were just kind of at his feet, and he almost flicked them cross-court, and he's just like, what? How? Like, how is that even possible? Yeah, that is the genius of his hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. His his age can become a factor on any given day. That's oh, what yeah. we've seen yeah. in the last couple of years. But when he's on, he's still very much on. And on this surface, it's particularly helpful to him to keep rhythm and timing on his shots. Right. Because when he's at his best, you are not getting any extra time from Roger Federer. He's taking time away from you at every turn. Mm-hmm. And the only variation you'll get with that is the backhand slice, which is solely designed to fuck up your life. <laughs> <laughs> to, to give you the false impression that you have time to get yes. your footing, right? Because that shot is part, it's a one-two step, mm-hmm. right? Right, he's like searing, Sierra Yeah, he's searing all over the court with his backhand slice. And so he puts you in that spot, but he knows where the next ball is going, and that's where he wants it to be. This title obviously means a lot to him. His hometown was a ball kid here, got very tearful during the trophy ceremony, which I think is always great to see. I love to see that these players really care, especially after what over two decades of him being out here. And you're, you're, oh, what? Don't do that. No. You like to see that these players care. It's a slippery slope, man. Okay. It's, it's a trite it's narrative. It's a cliche. But I. I respect a man who cries. That's a totally separate issue. Okay. I'm absolutely here for you with that. I don't like when people say, oh, it comes off as insincere, because I don't believe that for a second. I mean, who are these people? Like, Judge Judy couldn't even decipher sincere or not in those situations, <laughs> let alone you. <laughs> he always, uh, he gave the kids, well, he didn't give the kids a pizza party, but he had a pizza party with the ball kids, which is also awesome. Did he himself have pizza? He did. He, he Well, he had a slice in his hand. What was it? I, assu- I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure you were inspecting it to see if it was of, pepperoni. I don't know what or if kind it was Hawaiian. pizza Swiss German people eat. Yeah, but you're, you have strong opinions about what's appropriate pizza. <laughs> so I'm shocked that you didn't zoom in on that picture. <laughs> I liked what he said about aging and where he is in his career. He said that he's at peace 
with this being the end of his career. He knows there's very little time left. And, and that he's in the final throes. Yes. Not that he's retiring like tomorrow. But he acknowledges that something could happen at any time. An injury, a family thing, whatever, that could end his career. It must take a lot to, to reach that point. That, I don't know if you've just achieved everything and you're like, I still really want to play, but I can accept somehow if I can no longer play. I'm sure a lot of folks get there sooner than they let on. Mm. It's a question that he's been having to answer for years now. And I assume that perhaps he would have made this peace with himself a long time ago, but wasn't willing to to share it with us. And for me, the, the comfort in that idea is more heartwarming to see. Because, you know, reporters are out here just being nasty about retiring people all the time. And not just yeah. reporters, fans of Federer. <laughs> fans of Federer have been trying to retire him for a long time, too. And you know that this is my my probably biggest pet peeve with yeah. all of sport commentary, yeah. is retiring people before they're good and damn well ready. So good for him. Mm. He also beat Stefano Tsitsipas in the semifinal, in straight sets. That is not no small feat either. Tsitsipas is the one who beat him in Australia this right. year. Do we remember that? <laughs> we do. I remember falling asleep in that match with Federer comfortably ahead and awaking to the the news of the calamity. So this was a bit of payback in that regard too. At the end of the season, no less. Tsitsipas is the one who's 21. Yes. Federer is 38. Like Federer showing this freshness at this, this part of the season speaks to his deafness in terms of taking care of his body at this point. Mm -hmm. And we often talk about the young players in Labor Cup gaining so much knowledge and experience by playing with their their elders. Well, you often talk about okay. that. Okay. A lot of people do. <laughs> there may be something to Roger and Rafa watching Steph for that week and, you know, just have, having the chance to study his game. Because they're just standing on the sidelines, hyping him up. Roger might have been taking a few notes, making a few observations. I don't know. I think just he, throwing it out there. I think he has people who are paid for that. Sure, but like nothing beats you know your own eyes, your own experience. It was a hometown feel last week as well in Vienna, where Dominic Team won his second home title of the year. I was shocked to learn today that. In his 10 appearances in Vienna, he's 26 now, that Dominic Team had never advanced past the quarterfinal. Yeah, that's interesting. Also shocking to me that he's been around so long. Dominic is really 26. Yeah, I was shocked. Oh my god. This was a rollicking fun final. The Basel final wasn't great, except for watching Roger's kind of excellence. But this was actually a fun final between friends that was very competitive. Dominic beat Diego Schwartzman in three sets. And this title, like Basil to Roger, obviously meant a whole ton to Dominic. He said it was his dream since he was a little kid to win Vienna. He was tested throughout. He opened against our inaugural member of the Body Serve Hall of Shame, he who shall not be <laughs> named for another four months, and beat him in straight sets. In the round of 16, he beat Fernando Verdasco in three sets. I watched that match. And it didn't look great for Dominic in the first set because Fernando was, he was on his bullshit that day. Mm -hmm. He was blitzing, mm -hmm. he was hitting lines, everything looking effortless. 
and Dominic was able to wrest the initiative away from him early in that second set and frankly play some of the best tennis I've ever seen Dominic team play. I think I tweeted that it was monstrous, his play in the last <laughs> two sets against Verdesco. He then gets by Carreño Busta in the quarterfinal, who has to retire down Love 5. And then in the semifinals, the other big story on the men's side of the last few weeks, Matteo Bertini making the semifinals to crack the top 10 for the first time, becoming the fourth Italian man to crack the top 10 ever. Dominic takes him out in three sets, again losing the first set, rallying to win 7-5-6-3, and then again in the final losing the first set to Diego Schwartzman and coming back to win. Did you know Dominic team is the title leader on the ATP this year? I do know that because I read the agenda. <laughs> yeah, there's one Masters 1000, two 500s on hardcourt, Beijing and Vienna. A he Grand Slam final. A Grand Slam final in Roland Garros. Kitzbühel, also in Austria this summer. Barcelona, a 500 on clay. It's a it's a pretty good resume. Dominic Team is a grown-ass man now in stature on the <laughs> ATP Tour. Mm. And I've pushed back against you with this repeatedly, I think, over the course of this year, whenever we're we're forced to or foolishly bring up this this topic of who is the next one, right? Who is going to be the one to mm -hmm. win the Grand Slam title after the big three or four with Andy Murray? Mm -hmm. And I still maintain it's Dominic team. And I am only bolstered in that opinion by his last couple weeks, coming back from his latest viral affliction to really boss two big titles in Beijing and Vienna. He also looks like he's figured things out on court. He looks a totally different player in court to me. Able to troubleshoot, not have to, to blast his way out of trouble anymore. He has a lot more belief. His, what do you call it? His portfolio has expanded. You mentioned Berrettini. He has had really an incredible, I mean, whole year, but second half of the year especially. Flies into the top 10 at number 9 for the first time. And he has a very good chance to qualify for the ATP Finals. It's not set in stone yet, but Zverev is next, and Berrettini could secure the eighth spot. There's still about 10 players who could get in. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot to play for in Paris this week, but Berrettini is right there. Sir Andrew Baron Murray won a doubles title with Feliciano Lopez in Queens, and now has won the first singles title of his comeback, much sooner than I expected at least. This is a titanic achievement, really. With the aid of a titanium hip oh wow oh, i see what you did there mm -hmm. it's his first singles title since march 2017 in dubai and it's not like he beat no punk to win this title he beat stan Wawrinka in the final and on his way we saw a rematch of that i would say infamous famous match mm -hmm. against marius Kopel in dc last year where if you recall it went well into the wee hours of the morning and Andy Murray was so emotional after winning that match. He plays Coppola again here and beats him. Again in a long match. A long three-set match. But I remember how painful it was to watch that in 2018 in Washington. Who knew what Andy had ahead of him after that? We thought he was on the comeback trail then. Gets to Australia. Announces his likely retirement. And here we are. He's back practicing on a tennis court in March. Playing doubles on grass. And here we are, he's winning a title in Europe. 
He says that he wishes he had done the surgery sooner, that he always kind of knew that the hip would give out and he was essentially playing on borrowed time. Mm. But of course, hindsight is 2020 now that he's back playing well at the at the time there was no guarantee that he would even be able to to play recreational tennis again let yeah. alone at a high level he also is able to put his current place in tennis in perspective a little bit based on all that he's been through i mean these are the nuggets that tennis reporters live for you know i'm sure you could find five different ways of asking a question and not get this kind of response. But some days, the tennis players just give it to you. See Miss Venus Williams, you know? (laughs) Like, she may choose to answer a question one way, in in an ungiving way, five times in a row. Ungiving, ungenerous. And on the sixth try, if it's a friendly face, who knows? You may get a gem. In Andy's case, he may be a little bit sour, matter-of-fact, and to the point with with his response. And then other times, he may be a little bit more self-reflective and here he said right now like everything i'm doing around tennis is really really different and a lot more enjoyable because even sitting up there pointing at the interview room table after a match was not comfortable i think just being away from the sport has made me appreciate things a little bit more i think we've seen a lot more smiles from andy recently with his brand new teeth yeah brand new nashers is that a british thing yes okay what this does now is give Maury confidence to think that he is capable again to win on the biggest stages in tennis. The first few times back out, you have encouraging moments. You win a match here or there, and then it's what's the next step? I'm playing, I lost, but I'm recovering while my body feels good. What are the next targets? And I think maybe even for him, this came sooner than, than he expected. And so what, what is his next goal? And I can't imagine, knowing what we know about Andy Murray as a public tennis figure, that he won't then pivot to second weeks of slams next mm-hmm. year. He himself says that he feels like he's playing at a top 20-ish level, which is high. That's where Vavrinka is right now, and he beat him. He also beat Berrettini, who is now in the top 10. Yeah. Denis Shapovalov reached his first tour-level final and won his first title in Stockholm. He beat... Philip Krajinovich, who you might remember, was the runner-up to Jack Sock, of all people, at the Paris Masters in 2017. What a time to have been alive. (laughs) Ruby won Moscow. That's all you're going to say about Dennis? I didn't watch it. (laughs) It's not about watching the match. It's about (laughs) the fact that Dennis has been passed over. But there has been a bit of a reshuffling, because Felix has seen his fortunes kind of go down in the second half of the year and Dennis is seeing a real resurgence. He's more confident. Uh, I think we talked about earlier this year that maybe people were starting to figure out his game. Like they were just starting to crack the code. But I I like to see this from him. I didn't know you liked to see anything from him. (laughs) I I mean, I'm trying trying to be up in my (laughs) No, I think it's, it's good. It's good for him. It's good for Canadian tennis. It's good for these two to continue their upward trajectory. I don't like that it their good fortune seem to come at a time when the other is going in the opposite direction. It'd be nice, it would be nice to see them both going in the same trajectory at the same time. Your new fave. Yes, Ruby. Andre Rublev won in Moscow, beating Adrian Manorino in the final. 
It's only his second title, and it's first his first since uh, over two years in 2017. Now, is Ruby your personal nickname, or is that no, what people no. call him? I've seen people call him that. Okay. No, I didn't make it up. He's so strange looking that he's adorable. You know, so it's an appropriately cutesy nickname, I think. Not going to wade into that? <laughs> <laughs> I just like it. I like him a lot. I'm going to let you have your moment mm-hmm. with Ruby. You can carry on that relationship. Right. But the kid was on the come up years ago, and I think it was the first next gen event yes. in what twenty seventeen, and he was touted as one of the next big things, and he had a really rough go of it over twenty eighteen and the earlier part of this year. A lot of it to do with injury. Yes, but Cincinnati, he beats Federer and Warinka, he beats Tsitsipas and Kyrgios in the U.S. Open, and is now at number twenty two, a career high, and it's really like only looking up for him mm-hmm. he just seems uh more comfortable on court more he's, i want to say like more level-headed he's also less gangly on court yeah physically he's matured a it bit. could be um, you know a lot to do with physical maturation yeah alona alona aliona how do you say it miss astapenko <laughs> oh wow the that notorious. is that, that is your new Vanoitbank. we'll give you it's aliona Right? We'll give you the week to work on that pronunciation. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. It's confusing because I want to call her Yelena, but I know that's not her real name, nor what she prefers. Okay. Ms. Ostapenko. Penko. She wins in Luxembourg. We've seen Ostapenko coming for a little while now. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like the little boost she needed in the caboose of the train <laughs> was Marion Bartoli. Wow. This is... I mean, such a meeting of tennis personalities. Like, <laughs> it it seems fairly random, right? Because they seem actually quite different. But this is, it's almost too much charisma for one team. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> it makes sense in a lot of ways. And this immediate success, at any rate, they hadn't been working together for long. And now Bartoli has committed to being with Ostapenko full-time yes, in 2020 and has already delineated a whole list of goals. <laughs> this was reported in Le Keep this week, and Bartoli was not shy. She said the, the goal is to return Ostapenko to the top eight, win her another slam, and Marion wants to keep her role um, in TV commentary during the slams. But other than that, she's going to be with her day in and day out as her coach. Would you know that in that final, Ostapenko committed zero double faults? What? Now, if that is not the wizardry that's needed to right this ship, I don't know what is. Oh, wow. How did Bartoli do it? Let's not, let's not give it all to her. <laughs> zero double faults. But, uh... This is the same woman who had, what, seven double faults in one game at the U.S. <laughs> But remember, she did win that game. That is true. (laughs) See, it's wizardry. It is. Ostapenko is an enigma. Yes, these are two off-kilter people that I'm excited to see work together. And you know Bartoli is no bullshit. Zero. But in a lot of ways, so much bullshit. Well, yeah, but I mean, she'll tell you the truth, but it's like what she believes to be She'll tell you her truth. (laughs) (laughs) And some version of that truth. Yes, but she won't lie. As she believes the truth to be. <laughs> an, an important distinction. But I'm, I like where this is going. 
And you can see that with Ostapenko as well. Like, oh, I, oh, my, my, one of my favorite things in tennis is uh, is <laughs> is Ostapenko's just wry, unable to keep her lips from smiling. I'm on some bullshit smile, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's called a shit-eating grin. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think a lot of us can relate. And, and that's why people love her so much. Because a lot of us feel like we can't keep our emotions in check in professional settings like that, right? It's uh, it's cool to see, like, your id personified on a tennis court. That is something to look forward to in 2020, for sure. We just spent about half an hour talking about all the tennis that's happened in the last couple of weeks. We have two big tournaments happening right now. On the women's side, the WTA Finals is happening in Shenzhen. And the men, the much maligned Masters 1000, the one that we always <laughs> vote off the island every year. Maligned by us, you mean. Paris, in Bercy, is uh, underway. And I have to say, I'm actually looking forward to this tournament. Really? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I get to see much more tennis this week than I have in the last few weeks. It fits perfectly with my schedule, and the draw is great. Notwithstanding Federer withdrawing after winning in Basel, he says that he wants to make sure he's 100% for London. That's his big goal for the rest of the year. Fine, Paris is sans Federer right now. But Djokovic is there, Nadal is there, Nadal back from injury, Nadal back from wedding. He married Mary. And, uh... The draw is, I think, fairly balanced. We have what I assume by the fourth round into the quarterfinals will be some crackerjack matchups. And just today, the banished Frenchman beat your boy Ruby. Yep. Nadal is also currently, provisionally, world number one. We talked about on the last episode that at this point the ATP finals points and the Paris points from last year will have fallen off of the rankings. And so Nadal, at the end of this week, regardless of Djokovic's result, will return to world number one. It then becomes a matter of how much winning does he do this week and in London to then become year-end number one. So for me, it's exciting. I know you do not care one bit. Is that a fair assessment? Um, hmm... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I am eager to get to the World Tour Finals and, and have the season be done. I'm more interested in watching Naomi and Bianca specifically at the WTA Finals. Well, to be fair, this is your outlook on tennis from February. <laughs> That's <laughs> not true. I'm not going to do an about face and say, wow, I love Paris Masters. At, at this point, I it's really part of my brand, you know. Oh, well, well, there you go. So Rafa was back on the tennis court very shortly after getting married in Kazakhstan at that exhibition with Novak Djokovic. An exhibition that he won. Mm -hmm. And the Vienna tournament director was none too pleased that these guys were playing an exhibition during the season rather than playing an ATP event. For me, this brought back memories from doing the research for our pre-Open Era episode. We came across this tidbit from the 70s where there was an actual house inquiry into the ATP tour and specifically these exhibitions where the likes of Connors et al. were getting these big lump sum appearance fee payments to go play these exhibition tournaments, these made up events concurrently with the ATP tour. And it was the 
the estimation of the plaintiffs that it uh, undercut the viability of the ATP tour and that the likes of Connors would do well to know their history and how the tour came to be and not undercut the product. To be clear, you're talking about the United States House of Representatives. I am. Yes. I didn't do further research to find out how that played Mm -hmm. out. But there was a court case. I imagine that they had better things to do in the 1970s than investigate (laughs) professional tennis. It ran in the same vein as this whole idea that the professional tour was just a bunch of exhibitions where the results were fixed and people were just lining their pockets and the fans were having the wool pulled over their eyes. And so this house inquiry was designed to lay that all bare and have a more, what's the word? Transparent. Transparent moral enterprise, ethical enterprise in tennis. Wow, that's a lot. So this this thinking has been going on for a while, essentially. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, our next historical episode will be about those first few years, the wild new frontier of professional open tennis. And so maybe we'll cover that. Personally, I'm into researching how the stabbing of Monica Seles was covered in okay. professional okay. tennis. Okay. I find that very a content interesting. analysis? Yes. But doing a little bit of a reach around. No, no, no. That's uh, not what that's called. Doing a little bit of a reversal in the agenda here. Uh, going back. Yeah. Backtracking. Uh-huh, yep. The women are in Shenzhen. You mentioned briefly that you were looking forward to Naomi and, and Bianca playing the earliest that they could do that is in the semifinals. Maybe it will be a final as well. Don't overlook Ash Barty. Barty and Osaka will play tomorrow. By the time you listen to this episode, that will have happened. Naomi has already beaten Petra Kvitova again, as she did in Australia this year. Elena Svitolina, defending champion, took out Pliskova today in straight sets. There's a lot happening there. Andrescu appears to be injured. She, uh... But when doesn't she? Wow, that is... (laughs) unnecessarily messy (laughs) i'm issuing you a yellow card i uh, you know i hope for her sake that the injury is not serious but we have seen her carry a lot of injuries to titles okay to be fair fraught as that is yes i'm just noting that according to her her back friggin hurts right and i believe her as somebody who has had back problems before currently has back problems about that like we played tennis once in the last hey, I'm, year and I'm a half. I'm doing my therapy. Simona Halep as well. Beat Andreescu today. Really played a hell of a match. Competitive. Used her head out there. And there was a very uncharitable tweet by Chris Cleary saying that he, to be frank, didn't think she would have won had it not been for her on-court coaching with Darren. And I thought, like, dude, this ain't it. It's not. Are we here again? <laughs> We're doing this again? No, we're not doing this again. Lord. You know what we're also not doing? What is that? Or what I'm not doing? Is another Nick Kyrgios tweet storm drama. This is the most clear-cut case that Nick Kyrgios has ever gotten himself caught up in. (laughs) It is... I mean, Judge Judy would not even have it on the air for 15 minutes. It wouldn't even make up half an episode. Not even half an episode. This is this was crazy to me. Okay, so setting the scene here, Caspar Rudd was his opponent in Rome when he threw the chair and got disqualified, and Caspar celebrated, 
you know, as if he won the match. Son of he Christian was, Rude. He was very demonstrative. And he said recently in an interview that... He was asked about this. Yes. He didn't yes. just proffer this unprompted. He said, Nick was totally crazy when I played him. And later he said, it's his problem that he's an idiot on court. He and did not say that Nick Kyrgios is an idiot. No, he said he's an. it's his problem that he's an idiot on court. On court. And having played against him in that Rome match, how could you come to any other conclusion? Is there any court in the world that would hear this libel case <laughs> brought by Nick Kyrgios because he was called an idiot on no, court? No, Nick, Nick settles his arguments on these streets. Or on NCR. On social media only, I mean. And NCR. Okay. This is where it becomes absolutely absurd. We're not even a year removed from Nick Kyrgios going on NCR and talking all kinds of shit about everybody. A lot of y'all missed it, but he implied that the big three were doping on that episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. He did that. He certainly did. And, you know, it's fine. Like, say what you want. You're, you are free to say whatever you want, but you can't attack people for also speaking freely behind your back when you do the same thing constantly. Curious tweets. Hey, at Kasparud98. Next time you have something to say, I would appreciate it. You say it to my face. I'm sure you wouldn't run your mouth so much after that. Until then, I will continue to rather watch paint dry. Then, not then, then watch you play tennis. Boring AF. No. That means as fuck. Yes. This then-then problem that is plaguing the world. Okay, it, really. I understand, I understand, I understand. It just sticks out like a sore thumb. But it's a threat as well. I'm sure you wouldn't <laughs> run your mouth so much after that. Is Ooh. anyone, but is anyone scared? Really, like, what is Nick Kyrgios going to do? Do you think Nick Kyrgios is the kind of guy who fights in person? Like, if Nick Kyrgios is there without his brother, are you scared? <laughs> are you scared? I'm not. But again... He said, but again, I also understand why you have to keep my name in your mouth. Because people don't even realize that you play tennis. Good luck in Milan, champ. That in itself is supposed to be a dig, right? I mean, that he's he like, can, haha, you're young. Stupid. You can only make Milan. <laughs> like, what has Nick made? Well, to be fair, he has won five titles. He has, but yeah. what has he made? I mean, Nick is a grown-ass old man at this point, compared to the next-gen people, right? For At this point, he's trading on his prodigious talent. And what he could achieve for where he is in his career and what he has achieved. Like, don't be out here diminishing people's Milan achievement. Like, this dude is on the come up. He's a legacy kid in his country, Norway. His father was the first one to really put tennis on the map in Norway. And now the article spoke of how tennis in Norway is is booming again because of his recent success. Let the man have his things. Yeah, I would... I understand that I did say that I wasn't going to be doing this, but you're making me talk about it. I would implore you all to care very little. It's boring. Yeah, it's I mean, boring. I don't care. I just find it actually hilarious. Yes, it is funny. It it's, is funny. It's actually it's funny also because just, it's so ludicrous. It's annoying to me that we have to talk about it, and it's annoying that we don't have a fresh take because everybody's saying the same thing. Mm. Like, what are, you know, what are we supposed to bring to it? Because it's so obvious. Well, it's also one of the first times where we're talking about Kyrgios in a way that's not nuanced or doesn't have nuance. Oh, well, that's very, uh, that's very conceited of you. 
No, no, no. I'm just saying where we can't find some nuance in the discussion or <laughs> the narratives that... You know what I'm talking about, know, man? You're being very difficult right now. Like, this is a clear-cut losing situation for Kyrgios. Mm. An embarrassment. Yes, he took the L. Shambolic. And, and he didn't even delete it this time. Like, this is one he should have actually deleted. This is actual bullying. <laughs> actual bullying. Yeah. What is the ATP's respect and harassment in the workplace policy? Be right back. Gonna go WhatsApp Fabio Fonini. I'll, I'll, I'll get mm. back to you. Maybe Justin Gimmelstop knows. Mm. Okay, so Maybe we should of... email Djokovic to find out how to get in touch with <laughs> Gimmelstop. You know what? I can't stand you. <laughs> Do you know, I have a friend at work now who, well, she's fairly new. That's She tells me that at least five times a shift. Really? She tells me, I can't stand you, I hate you, and I'm going to punch you out. You know what? That that really does sound like harassment to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was kidding before, but I think this is a good guess. And it's only because I make her laugh so much. Like, I am that funny oh, okay. that people can't you stand know, don't, it. Don't blame yourself. You're the victim here. <laughs> I, I mentioned Gimmelstab. Speaking of that whole, you know, that whole debacle... The ATP has replaced Chris Kermode with Andrea Gaudensi, who is a former player himself, world number 18, winner of three ATP titles. He is the former, well, he was a former board member of ATP Media, which is affiliated with the ATP Tour. He has a law degree from University of Bologna. He has an MBA. He's worked in media, gaming, all these things. It seems like he has a ton of experience in sports and sports media. He was unanimously voted into this position. Right. And it's not board. It's not the position that's being contested between Lepenti and Weller-Evans. It's not that. No. So, while you were taking a break, I found out some interesting news. The ATP just announced minutes ago that Mark Knowles will take that seat. The America's rep that oh. Weller-Evans was filling in the interim. Oh. Then, I found on Twitter... That Sergei Stokowski gave, gave an interview last week to this outlet called Tennis of Ukraine, and he set the scene. I mean, the guy, you know, we have disagreements, but he surely can set a scene. He can tell a, a story. He claims that Knowles, Lapenti, and Evans presented to the ATP Players Council with their case. Basically, you know, their job interview to become a member of the board of directors. And... At the beginning, Evans was not the favorite. Mark Knowles and Lepenti scored well. Stakowski realized that it was becoming clear that Evans was a Gimmelstab puppet, according to him. Allegedly. And the five, he calls them the five, voted in favor of Evans. And the other five, which we assume Stakowski is one of them, and some of the players who resigned, didn't want Evans. And so Stakowski alleges that this vote is what precipitated that mass resignation from the Players' Council. Now, we can't fact-check that, but that's his side of the story. How does Knowles come into play now? How does he then supplant anyway, those other two? So Weller Evans was in the spot on an interim basis. I don't know the circumstances of his election. Like, that happened today in Paris. I assume there was another uh, general meeting in Paris, and they elected... You know, the, the, the board elected the new chairman, Gaudenzi, and the Players' Council elected the new uh, board member. Who is Mark Knowles. Exactly. So if this is, ends up being incorrect, this is on you, because this no, is totally new to No, it was totally tweeted by me. ATP and Espanol. Okay, okay. Mark Knowles is from the Bahamas, by the way. You know uh, that, right? I understand. Mm -hmm. I do know that. 
<laughs> to be clear, I know that they speak English there. That's not why I said that. Wow. It was from ATP and Espanol. And your whiteness is a lot to overcome on a daily basis. I just wanted to, I just wanted to make very clear that I was not confusing that. <laughs> so, Gaudenzi is the chairman of the ATP and Mark Knowles is the replacement for Justin Gimmelstab. Well, that's what we're saying. Right. Gimmelstab, Evans, Knowles. I suspect that this isn't totally done with yet. We'll be hearing more. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh. So someone needs to call up Toronto radio stations because they're trying to say that Bianca Andreescu and Pascal Siakam are dating. Listen. I don't think that's true. If you watch Canadian TV, you'd be calling them up too because it's on the Canadian television as well. It's not just the radio. (laughs) Canadian media is going hard to ship Spicy B. Who said that? (laughs) Who came up with that? I can't remember. Somebody, a few people actually commented when I tweeted this. Because so Pascal is a Raptor. If you don't know him, he was a huge breakout player last year and most improved player in the NBA. Was a great contributor to the Raptors championship. He's already assumed the mantle of of Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. He's averaging mad crazy numbers: twenty eight points, twelve boards through the first three games. Like he is going to be a superstar, and he seems to be a super nice guy. Yeah, and he's in like all these commercials on TV here, and his nickname is Spicy P. And so, the obvious ship name is Spicy B. However, I don't think this is actually a real relationship. They were just spotted at, like, an event together. They were seated together, and mm. they took a picture together. And, you know, there are relationships of convenience to boost <laughs> social profiles. Uh-huh. We see it all the time. you think this is, like, Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello? Did Pascal call her senorita? Oh, God. Did he? That, oh, my God, I'm just cringing thinking about <laughs> that vma performance we don't think it's true for the record but But, you know it would be cute we're just making fun of the canadian media (laughs) who have their own prince harry and Meghan markle right yeah listen i was just talking about this at work like toronto is not used to being cool right like we have now we have drake we have the raptors weekend now bianca like and people are even talking about the way torontonians talk like the way young gen z kids use Jamaican Patois and like Somali words. Toronto is all of a sudden cool and I think we don't know what to do with it yet. So they need a, a cool prom king and queen. Right. Okay. Sasha Bain and Christina Mladenovic have split oh. and Kiki is not happy. Kiki does not love me. She said that... Do you, do yeah, you I get that? it. That was Drake. Yeah, sorry. That was really bad. It was too much. <laughs> you did too much. <laughs> Mladenovic released a statement saying, I enjoyed our work. We had some big wins and I truly felt my game was on the rise again. I think that there was a lot more to achieve together, but I can't change his opinion. Okay. So Kiki made it very clear that was not her decision. The split. And honestly, we'd heard rumors all year that Sasha was not in it for in it to win it long haul. or or that he was possibly entertaining other offers yeah that he could have jumped ship at any moment for a more more lucrative opportunity but he didn't until now he <laughs> fulfilled his commitment which mm. was through the end of the year so kudos to him i'm very curious who he'll work with next i i do think we should pose the question maybe not answer it is does it ring any alarm bells that he has been with so many players and that 
a lot of his relationships have been short. Or or is that just the nature of coaching on the WTA tour? Honestly, I don't find fault with anybody who takes that approach. People are annoying. Okay. Like, can you imagine being around the same people oh. <laughs> 24-7 traveling with them? Like, God, I could barely do it with you if I had to travel week in, week out. It's a lot. Well, yeah, but you don't get paid for that. It would make it better, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My point is, it's a lot. To be able to... You, you take the example of Darren and Simona. They seem to truly like each other. I feel oh, like yeah. that has to be a part of a long, long-term working relationship as a coach and player. Otherwise, uh, what what's the motivation, really? Sure. If you're not winning super big titles. I'm just saying... The question should be posed. I'm not, I'm not answering it. But especially since the book, which is in part about Naomi and was published in Japanese, we should be asking these questions. So you would like to know whose coattails are next? No. Is that no, what you want to know? No. Uh, I'm just. I'm more fascinated than anything. I just like. By I want to know. I want to know. Why is it fascinating? No, because to you? I want to know what's going on. In these coaching relationships. Yeah, but listen, you, know, you were just messy and mentioned the book and the fact that it was well, published in Japanese. Because it was messy. Okay. So so what's the relevance of that to seeing who he's going to work with next? No, I, the question was, the original question was, are there any alarm bells when somebody has been through, many, th- through so many players on a short-term basis? And you have no idea what those alarm bells could be? No. Or you just... I'm not going to cast aspersions on something. Okay. So you have, your, you've said all you're going to say. Yes. I will not partake. And uh, Cece Bellis, she's on the verge of returning to the WTA tour. She's been out for over 18 months since, I think, Miami 2018. Mm. And my word, she has been on some kind of journey through injury and surgeries to make her way back to the WTA tour. When I read this today, I had no idea that she'd been through so much. Four surgeries. Four surgeries. Three on the wrist and one on the elbow. This news release from the USTA said that uh, problems first began for Bellis in early 2018. She was experiencing pain and discomfort in her arm and wrist. Initially diagnosed as general soreness and tendonitis, a later MRI revealed three tears in her right wrist that required surgery. She then required a second surgery to shave down a, bur- a bone spur in her elbow, and then a third surgery that same year to cut and shorten a bone in her wrist and add a metal plate. However, a year on from all of that, in March of this year, she started to experience discomfort again when she got back to the practice courts, and then further exams revealed that the metal plate that was inserted in the wrist was actually too big and needed to be removed. That required a fourth surgery and more setbacks. This for somebody who is only 20 years old and who was Mm. as high as number, what, 36 in the world a couple years ago? She's a couple weeks away from returning to a challenger event, ITF Mm -hmm. level kind of situation. We wish her well. The next-gen finals lineup is set in Milan. Tsitsipas qualified. He was the number one... By far, he won't play because he's going to London. Felix Ojealiasim was number two, but unfortunately has had to withdraw from the rest of the season. He injured his left ankle in practice. He intends to come back for Davis Cup at the very end of the season, but mm. everything else is out of 
out of the question. Yeah. Not in Paris this week. Will not play in Milan. So in Milan, we're going to see Shapovalov, Demon Hour, Frank Tiafo, Kasper Rudd, Kachmanovic, Ugo Umber, Michael Emer, and Yannick Sinner, who was the Italian wildcard. Umber, you know, just shout out to him. He's had a great run this fall. He won two challengers and reached the semifinals of Antwerp. Sinner also had a deep run in Antwerp. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's come on strong in the last few weeks. Not just a ceremonial wildcard. It's nice that they have an Italian wildcard who's actually playing well. Yeah. Because the I, last event, or two years ago, it was somebody ranked, like, what, 700 that got the wildcard? Yeah. But Sinner probably isn't that far off from qualifying out, outright. No, and it's not a stretch to think he could win this tournament. Mm-hmm. All right, now the tennis stuff is done. We're going to wrap with things we like and things we dislike, which we haven't done in a while. No. You will start with things you like. Okay. Because this... You found so many ways to talk about this the last few days, and I just need you to get it out of your system yeah, once yeah. and for all. So I have two, actually. One is not written down. But the one is there's this video going around of a woman screaming and cussing out a McDonald's employee about a Happy Meal. And then she starts to throw food and drink at the employee. Do we know it was a Happy Meal? Well, that's what I read in the reply. I don't know. Does it matter? It has to be a Happy Meal for for it to work with this story, right? There was a toddler (laughs) walking around by itself while this is going on. So she throws food in the face of this worker, and the worker wheels back and throws a blender pitcher right in her face and knocks her on her butt. And you know what? I, I don't condone violence, and I can't say that I would have done that had that been me, but You also can't say that you would not have done that. True. True. But sometimes... You get what you deserve. And and I say that as someone who has worked many, many different jobs. We both worked in service for a long time. It is so, I mean, can you imagine anything more degrading or infuriating than have food thrown in your face? Like, I've done this job. I know what it's like. I can't say that I would not have thrown a blender. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, like, healthcare is expensive and unjust. So I'm not saying, like... You should bust your eye open and have to go to the hospital. But you did kind of ask for it. See, when you throw (laughs) things in people's faces, when you invade somebody's personal space that intimately, you really have no idea how somebody's going to react. No. I don't know how I'm going to react. I know it's one of the really touchy things for me. Yeah. Like, if somebody invades my personal space with respect to my face, I, I, I... do not know what I would do. I just like, there have been a couple instances where I was shocked by my response. <laughs> it was like, wow, that took me out. Yeah. It just it incites this this other personness in mm-hmm. in people. Yeah. And so uh shame on that person for throwing food at somebody who's yeah. just trying to do their job. And you know what? You can at me. It's fine. But I don't feel bad about watching it over and over again. <laughs> I just don't. I'm not saying that a blender to the face was proportionate in response. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I, I, I think I can say it definitely wasn't proportionate right. in, in response. Like on the scale of right and wrong. It wasn't right. No. You know, it's not what we teach our children. But was but... it totally wrong? I'm still not sure either. <laughs> this is where multiple things are true. Yeah. it's If you have not worked in customer service, it is difficult to understand the the emotional labor that you have to do 
every moment like, when you're at work. I cuss and, so much at work. Yes. Like I leave tables with my smile and walk cussing back to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like all manner of blue lights. But to when, the kitchen. when somebody who works in service loses their patience or reacts emotionally, I pretty much always sympathize. The other thing that I like, I've probably said this before, but Riverdale, I just, I had a moment of realization during the last episode where I just appreciated how knowingly absurd the show is, how willing it is to do the absolute most at all times. You've got one character keeping her dead brother in the chapel in their house. He's been dead for like... I mean, the entire series, and this is season four, so, like, I don't know how old this body is, first of all. But he's just sitting there, and she's talking to him. And, and then the other thing is that Betty, Betty's mom is a mole in a cult, kind of like Heaven's Gate, but with, like, a super hot dad cult leader, Chad Michael Murray, who's, like, hotter than ever. And the plan was he was going to strap Betty to the front of a bus and then drive the bus off a cliff while he escaped on his rocket and i wish i could say that was a euphemism for something but no it was a literal rocket a rocket i'm dumbfounded in my stupidity for not having vetted this second (laughs) thing you like because it would not have made the agenda i can only assume that this was spurred on by our halloween costumes Mm -hmm. which we went as Jughead and Archie from Riverdale. I yeah. was Archie. I donned a red wig that I had to style myself, wore a jersey and yes. football pants. These cheap wigs, uh, first of all, are synthetic, and they do not come pre-styled. They really. do not. Uh, and you went as Jughead. So I, I, I understand how this may be a little bit fresh in your mind's eye, mm-hmm. but we need to move You on. know, you just have to appreciate a show that's willing to go there all the time. Something I dislike, I've got two. I'm pretty sure this would have been on my thing I dislike from last year this time. The WTA finals in Shenzhen, when the woman come out for the photo shoot, the group photo, and then the entire next two days is all of Twitter saying how horrible they look, how this person looks like a frumpy cow, this person (laughs) doesn't know how to dress themselves, wow, this person is embarrassing, Oh, oh, I'm disgusted. And then one person thinks that person looks fly as hell. The other person thinks that same person looks like a dowdy dog. It's it's very it's actually upsetting to me that these women, I'm sure maybe some or a lot of them enjoy this part of it, but like they're here to do a job. They're here to perform at the year end. This is a celebratory moment for them and folks are out here cutting them down. It just, it, it seems mean-spirited to me and unnecessary, yeah, and I don't like, like it. It's like very Perez Hilton. And I'm I'm a practicing homosexual, but I'm not one of those stereotypical gays who is all about telling people what fashions they should or shouldn't be wearing. Oh, you're not one of those gays? I'm not one that of those. That sounded very respectability. So no, just be careful no, 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 you know exactly what I'm talking about. I hope you're just leading me to a, a, a way where I could illuminate it Yes. better. Yes, yes. So do. These gays feel that just because they're gay, they're everybody's good Judy, and that their opinions about fashion are paramount and supersede all else. And like, hello, I've seen a lot of y'all's fashions. So let's not do this. Let's not. The other thing I don't like, 
I go to bed very, very late at night. Mm -hmm. And I set the timer on the TV for 30 minutes and I end up falling asleep most times before, blah, blah, blah. But I often come across these late night infomercials with these demonic celebrities. Demon, like They're who? demonic. Angie Harmon, demon. Oh. The devil. Mm -hmm. You know what? I liked her on Law & Order. And then it turned out that she and Seahorn were like mm -hmm. Bush supporters yeah. way back. No, but listen, yeah. they're out here selling all these things to seniors. That's the tar target demographic. Mm -hmm. Aunt Judy and Grandma Mary, who are up at night, can't fall asleep, or up at four o'clock starting their day, because that's how old people do. And they're trying to sell them a uh, home, home safety lock. The latest one that Angie Harmon is doing is, what is it, where they steal your identity. You could oh, be just God. going about your business and then, oh, look, your life is over. Like, they don't got much life left to live. Let them live it. And then Jay Leno is out here saying... <laughs> Jay Leno? Jay Leno is on the same fucking okay. commercial. Jay Leno has more money than God. Stay home and rearrange your cards. Like, just do that. He's out here doing God's work. Letting people know that if this happened to me, it could happen to you. He's like, I thought I was too famous for somebody to steal my identity. But lo and behold, somebody went and filed for my social security. I never thought it would happen to me. It's so upsetting to me when people prey on old people and even more shameful that these celebrities are taking paychecks to aid these companies do it. And you know, are, I hope... How late are you staying up? I hope his recovery is going well, but Alex Trebek is no better. He's tra he what? He traded on... His Jeopardy fame and the fact that old people watch Jeopardy to try and sell them life insurance. Well, now you've gone too far. I'm just saying. Because a lot of insurance companies will not insure people over a certain age. Exactly. For life and so they're telling you, oh, it don't matter. You're this age, $9.99. You're this age, $9.99. It's all bullshit. We all know this. It's enraging to me. That's that. Wow. Are you actually watching these things? I'm not like you that's going to spend 15 minutes not watching anything because I'm cycling through the channels. I mean, there's... Pretty much always a 90 day fiance on i'm just saying i'm surprised you didn't put that in your things you like as a missed opportunity we have some exciting news for us <laughs> <laughs> potentially right we'll see so you know we've been around for many many years now almost we've, five we started this in 2015 we're um, completing our fifth season you know serena was on the road to serena slam 2.0 uh, Rafa's career was over, basically. Yeah. This was before Roger's resurgence. It was a different time. Basically, we've we've gone through almost five full seasons, and we have never really entertained the the idea of doing a fundraiser. We didn't think we had earned our stripes. And or put in the the work. And really. honestly, just felt a little weird about it. Or as Jamaicans would say, felt cute. About Still it. do. Right. Like you have your hand long out. <laughs> I beg for something. <laughs> but, you know, on that note, we... Because uh, <laughs> we are begging right. for something. We have decided to launch a GoFundMe soon, in November. And the idea is just that, um, you know, if you've been listening for a while or if you're new, we've, we've done 175 episodes and uh, we could use some new equipment. We'd like to travel overseas to different tournaments. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a new tournament on the calendar for next year that I have my eye on that I would like right. to go uncover. I won't say which one, mm -hmm. but this is just by way of saying this is uh, this is in the works and we appreciate your support, whether or not you decide to donate. Mm -hmm. 
Not everyone is in a position to do so. Not everyone wants to do so. That's totally understandable. But this is uh, this is what's happening for us. We're not going to have a whole bunch of promises that we're going to make. Say you, you donate this much, then you get this or that. There'll be a couple things for sure that we mm. can do and are prepared to do. But I think we want to let the work that we've done already hopefully speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And with a, a few extra dollars, we will hopefully be able to spend more time doing research episodes like we did last year with our Pride special and then this year with our pre-open era episode. Not for nothing, but those take a lot of time. And yeah, anything that you would be able to do, whether you conceptualize it as buying us a coffee or taking us out to dinner, you know, what if you think that the podcast has meant to you and you're able to put a value on it in our pockets, we will we will take it. And feel cute about it, but we'll take it. <laughs> so that's on the horizon. We'll be back shortly with a, a breakdown of the WTA finals, the Paris Masters, which you are way more excited about than I am. I am. We're not going to be on this every two weeks bullshit for the rest of the season. I just spoke to you before right. the this right. episode and said, we need to be bam, 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 bam. Get the season done. Do it well. Have our off season. Come back fresh for 2020. Yeah. And so we should have four to five episodes weekly the rest of the way. All right. Thanks for listening today. You can find us on Instagram at the Body Serve, on Twitter at the Body Serve. I'm James. Uh, my Twitter is at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. My name is Jonathan at tennis underscore John on Twitter. If you like the show, please give us a review on iTunes, preferably. That's one of the tangible ways that you can help build the profile of the body serve. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.